Welcome to machine learning. Well, continuation of thought. I actually uh, weighed things out and has decided, well, you know, I'm paying money for the subscription, so I, I'm going to maximize the value that I'm going to get back. So I decided, well, you know what? Then the echelon uh, of AI and machine learning, the echelon goes like this, that uh, you move to, uh, you move to a, um, um, data engineering. So you go data science to data engineering. And then from data engineering to uh, AI ML production. So that's kind of the hierarchy of career paths. <clears throat> so in data engineering, you're building your pipelines, you're doing lots of uh, feature engineering, um, and you're working with more advanced tools like PySpark. And uh, again, I, I think the PySpark will be uh, a standard in the future. Now, as I've got done with the Kaggle competition, uh, one of the things I found that was interesting about that competition is that uh, um, that they they talked about stacking models. And then, you know, looking for the model that performs the best. And so, it, you know, stacking models might be the way to go. You might, you go, you might have uh, your inputs uh, and, uh, and, uh, and then you have your test data and you have your train data. But you're you're adding these classifier results uh, to the to the different uh, data sets, and then you're saving those out. Well, and then you you're seeing how one uh, model might per perform against another. So a lot of comparisons and different ways to quickly look at how the model performs. And we have to remember that each one of these techniques uh, has a computational cost. So as you get uh, better at your data engineering and so forth, you start thinking about you know, cost efficiency. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would say that uh, just as in any data engineering or extraction process that you break things apart into understandable units and then as you understand how things are organized then you can start uh, you can start exploring different questions but uh, it is very interesting to see how uh, 
useful machine learning thinking is. Um, I was uh, I was analyzing some text, and, I, and I'm finding lots of value in text analysis. I just uh, uh, think that it's you know a lot of the communication that you do in business is by words. There's a lot of text data that's floating around in the in companies but not very much of that information is being analyzed for information that might be useful and I don't know why that is uh, I would say that it there is a lot of uh, complexity to extracting out meaning or classifications from data uh, text data but uh, it, it you can you can extract uh, multi labels in a pipeline using Keras and uh, I, I found that uh, it was pretty accurate it was it was uh, seeming like it was getting those classifications right and you know, it's looking at things from a probability. So you're looking at these words and, you know, it's finding a, a weight on those words uh, based on the frequency, inverse frequency. So there's a fu function, a logarithmic function, and uh, that uh, measures frequency. So it normalizes it, take, removes the noise. And then it weighs out these words in terms of their importance. And so then you get these matrices and you can compare uh, by using simple distance equations, similar sentences. So they're the, the scoring and the distance between these sentences summations are are going to be in proximity and so those have an effect of grouping similar content together um, and then you want to remove all the relevant words like the stop words uh, but you know IDF, TF, IDF, term frequency, inverse document frequency. It cannot necessarily tell you meaning. You know, it's it's looking at data and it's comparing data. Now, where you get uh, into meaning is is kind of interesting. You can break uh, your sentence down into parts of speech. And then you can parse those parts of speech to uh, try and get uh, meaning from the data. And so you you know you can get things like uh, uh, articles, nouns, proper nouns, pronouns, verbs, direct objects. That can be very useful. You know, in some cases, uh, all you're interested in is certain keywords and uh, 
you're looking for nouns and uh, words that might be important. So it, it removes out the words that are are maybe uh, part of syntax from the words that are actual content. So you can use beautiful soup to remove those words out. And so that's looking for certain HTML, removes out the HTML and leaves you with the, the web content. Well, then in uh, data engineering, they introduce uh, parallel processing in Python, which I found interesting. Looking forward to taking those courses. And right now I'm taking the object-oriented with classes. Now, in the past I've talked about decorators and decorator functions and why decorators are so powerful. Uh, and mainly it's because it puts a lot of code uh, accessibility into these decorators, but you could think of code behind it as almost like functions. Yeah, they are functions. But you can put decorators uh, probably in some ways in replacement of classes. And then you could you could approach a lot of your programming from a decorator functional perspective. Now, I don't think that would be as popular as building a class and then having methods and you know uh, using your underscore underscore int underscore underscore uh, to do your initialization of your class with a self and the variable, self variable, assignment to the parameters of your constructor. And the reason I think that objects are going to be par par powerful is, is that they can become as a module, but I guess you could also say the same thing is true uh, with functions as they can just come all in a module. The only problem you have with functions and decorators is they don't have domains. You know, you don't have clear domains. I guess you could put them inside of a namespace if you wanted. Uh, but it's just kind of the idea of build programming from syntax versus programming from within an object. I think they're very comparable. But as I, I start to think about uh, how you could use a decorator to overload certain functions, um, that in some ways decorators are almost like extension classes. They extend the, the functionality. Whereas uh, classes are, are probably uh, a product of engineering, uh, that uh, you, you define what your, 
your class entity is, and then you decide how the methods are going to interact, and you try to decouple uh, functionality within your methods. Keep things loosely coupled. And encapsulate the data so that uh, variables can't be changed from the outside. So it's uh, the object-oriented method of programming uh, can be very useful. And then once you get your um, foundation of objects, you build on that foundation. So reusability is good. And then you can build uh, frameworks and platforms using that foundation. So a lot of code code is uh, being created right now, and uh, you know expressed as different names and modules. And then you can get it on uh, Anaconda. You can get your code on Anaconda, and then get users using it. So the open sources are is a good way to, to learn how to program and uh, and then build software for all the world. You need to be able to program everything. I have a friend that, uh, you know, he's very specific about, I'm a data scientist, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, you're not a data scientist. You gotta be a Python programmer, a Java programmer, a React programmer, a data scientist. There's no such thing anymore as just a data scientist. You got to do it all. And, uh, you know, there's always the argument for specialization. Well, I'll, you know, I need to specialize. But really, it's not happening that way. In most cases, uh, you know, the, the, there's just a very generalized approach to a lot of the work that's being done. And then, you know, if you can get in a domain that only does certain things, then you could be highly specialized in just that, that thing that you're dealing with. Like if you're in some sort of research for uh, cancer or certain types of uh, diseases and you're studying just that data only, then uh, there's the possibility that... Uh, uh, you would be very specialized maybe in just image processing. So your real concern is like CNN networks and, uh, and uh, pipelines along that line of thought. But you're not really concerned about financial predictions and forecasting and uh, study of data that way then you might be looking at things like uh, social networks and thinking about uh, you know how people are reacting to different interfaces gathering information about people's preferences so then you might be saying well yeah in that case you might be looking at things that are kind of weird like what were some of the outlier weird behaviors that were occurring and then why were they occurring? Um, 
lot of cases, you know, it's uh, a lot of uh, Indian programmers are coming into America now and wanting to do projects for American companies, build their data science, machine learning pipelines. And, uh, you know, presenting themselves to be able to do it at a fraction of the cost. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't happen that way. Um, there's always a cost, and it's always long-term. And the strategy is not one on the first day or the second day, but it's a, it's a long-term strategy. And you're not going to build something in the first year, and it's going to be used for the, the company from the from year after. Most likely it'll take you five years to build your infrastructure to the point that you can do something useful. So, you know, it's, uh, you're gonna spend a lot of time analyzing your data, exploring your data, using different tools, different libraries, and you're gonna like certain libraries better than other libraries. Uh, SKLearn is, you know, largely what I'm using now, but that's not to say that there aren't other libraries that people are writing and uh, utilizing. And there's this whole realm of, of commercial AI that's being built right now where developers are writing their own algorithms. So those are algorithms are being used in uh, corporate projects that they're currently working on. But all that has to be maintained and understood. So in some cases it might be, you know, it might be uh, advantageous to use the open source. I remember when I was trying to build my graphics library and I had developers working on it, we kept running into all kinds of hardware issues because we were, we were way down at the hardware level. And so, you know, if we were working with uh, VGA cards, it was very predictable. But when we went to extended VGA and different types of cards, uh, since we weren't going through a driver, things were less predictable and sometimes were very proprietary. And so, um, After a little while, it became less efficient, but more expedient to uh, to use oh, commercial software. We licensed uh, Silicon Graphics, OpenGL, used that for a little while. And then uh, Microsoft ported that to Windows, and we could use it now on Windows Free. It was amazing. Uh, and then we went to DirectX and, you know, there was uh, Unreal Engine, but those, those were, those were features that were in a realm that, uh, that I hadn't explored yet and, uh, were out of, out of reach. But, uh, it's, um, it's very interesting that uh, 
development has the libraries and the tools have got so sophisticated, but yet the knowledge of how they work and the concepts behind them still remain somewhat the same. And so uh, in the realm of AI, you know, when you're recognizing objects like faces or objects in data, in the streaming data, you know, you have to know how to program in Python and you have to become very good at it, uh, at least at an intermediate level. So, you know, you're practicing a lot of coding to get to that level and uh, testing your knowledge on a daily basis to make sure that you understand how to read the language. Well, the thing is, is don't give up. You know, there's going to be times where you're just going to get frustrated and uh, you feel like that this thing is too big. And I can tell you from taking 51 courses that. Uh, it is, a, it is a big field, and there are a lot of concepts, and you will be thinking a lot about how to approach different problems. And there are lots of data sets out there you can just grab and use, you know, just apply what you know, and just practice your uh, code. But then eventually, you know, reuse your code, make your, leverage your code, build a platform of reusable code, that you know that can save you time, and uh, uh, you know you can you don't have to remember all the map plot live and subplot functions. You can you can build that into uh, a generic uh, uh, a, ger a generic system where you can just pass in a list of, of um, images that you want to display. Or you could uh, pass in the data frames and the group buys and the output fields. And these are things that you could abstract out as you get more familiar with the Pandas library. And then there's lots of parameters, lots of parameters to have to understand. And, and uh, you know, be able to read the documentation, but then also, if you don't understand the terminology, to be able to go to uh, sites like DataCamp, take the courses and, and gain a better understanding of, of, uh, of the, uh, models. And so, you know, it's a constant learning environment that you're in. And you're working uh, to understand the problems. But what they say, you know, still is go back to the business requirements. Business requirements drive technology. Technology does not drive business requirements. 
have to have uh, that interface into business to provide any value to them. Um, so that, then the question is, is what's, what's the next big thing, you know? And uh, definitely more algorithms, more problems to solve, and, uh, you know, talking to people and getting their feedback. Because uh, you're going to run into uh, lots, of, uh, lots of challenges. So, you know, just take it uh, a little at a time, learn, uh, learn, learn what uh, the technology is capable of. Last night I was watching uh, Raw. Kind of a gruesome movie about a samurai who uh, he was more like a lord, uh, and he had he had uh, certain sons. And I think he had either three or four sons, and he decided for some strange reason to not give his kingdom to the eldest son, but to give it to a younger son who he felt was stronger. And so that created a civil war. Uh, and uh, the war didn't go well. And in one of the his conquests, he destroyed a village and blinded a, one of the boys in the village. And in the movie, it has kind of a, a Buddhist penitence theme where the boy then uh, torments the old man as he loses all of his sons and the kingdom is destroyed. And the boy follows him around, making him suffer for his uh, his choices. And as I think about that, I, I just really don't like the idea of forced penitence. You know, I guess there's there's such a thing as justice. You know, bringing a person, confronting them. But force penance doesn't seem to change anything. You know, it just causes the other person to suffer. And it's a form of retribution. But I, I like the idea of, of uh, repentance because, you know, you're, you're choosing to feel sorry. You're choosing to change and uh, shed that evil way. Well, you know, there's uh, 
the success of DataCap has been that there's so many courses and, and they're led by professionals. I was actually going down the list of uh, projects that uh, are were in uh, the DataCap that are led by instructors. And I think there were 75 projects. So each one of those projects, you know, you could you could start, uh, you could see how different, uh, like the instructor, you know, instructor-led projects where they got in and uh, and they show you kind of their solution, and so you could kind of follow along if you're if you're uh, struggling to you know figure out which way to go. Uh, even like the in the case where I was doing some text analysis, I built my uh, text and TF uh, IDF for the text uh, pipeline. I did a simple computer with the pre-processing, and then for my classifier, I used uh, a uh, logistic regression and it was only getting like 81% accuracy on my predicted uh, target target and so what I had did was I went back and looked at my notes and I uh, I noticed that the in one of them they used uh, an AB scalar and so I put that into my code and it went, uh, and then it got everything correct. So the noise that was causing the logistic regression model to err uh, was removed. And, and so then it was able to, to correctly converge on, on uh, the, uh, the solution or on the, uh, the results. time to be alive. I feel really grateful that uh, got the second certificate done. And, uh, you know, I'm going to look at those projects. Because there's a lot of value to, you know, drawing out knowledge that you already have. You, know, you have a lot of skill already. And uh, a lot of times you can get kind of fancy but when you get down to it, it's, it's gonna be probability. Everything's gonna get down into probabilities. Even in the, in the uh, Bayesian networks, it's, it's, uh, you're, you're having different uh, network probabilities and then you're adjusting for new information and watching how that, that affects the probability on the, the network. So, you know, efficiency is the new icon. You're, you're, you're going to be working 
and thinking a lot about why uh, different features may be affecting the probability of accuracy in the system. And then you might be removing certain features. But I think, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, a lot of value to deep learning because of the fact that you don't need to remove any features in deep learning, that it just, uh, it figures out what features are important. And then, uh, you know, it, uh, it utilizes the, that to, to get its, its uh, results. But uh, don't think that deep learning can solve everything. Because I was, uh, I was doing uh, some matrices determinants, and so I was running that through my uh, uh, inputs. So I set up my matrix, and then see if it would uh, train on the determinant result see if it could learn the determinant function and it could on one determinant so if you had a determinant and then a result that it could it could get those results but then when I went to another matrix and then the determinant results it didn't do as well and I just got kind of frustrated with it because I was thinking well it should still figure out the rules of the matrices to get both of them accurate so the function out the functional process of uh, determining a determinant should be discoverable by the deep learning so that would be something that uh, would be interesting to me to talk to a, an expert in deep learning and find out why the uh, predicting determinants was so difficult for deep learning. So there, there may be, uh, there may be a certain type of deep learning that I, I needed to use. Maybe I needed to use a long, long short-term memory. Maybe there needed to be some different uh, uh, type of um, activation function on the nodes. And so I could see where more understanding of the Keras network and what the neurons are doing uh, to determine functionality would be important. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that think that deep learning can learn everything. And uh, there have been people who have applied deep learning to mathematical functions lots of different types of mathematical functions and the deep learning correctly identifies those functions and learns them.
kind of a slow week this week, but uh, not every week's going to be fast. Until next week, sign it off.